Chapters twenty nine and thirty of Taken at the Flood by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Twenty nine. I sigh the lack of many a thing I sought. The swift days went past. Very swift they seemed to Sylvia, and yet very slow. She had chosen her own fate, yet she felt in a manner doomed. There were times when she felt as helpless as the luckless sailor clasped in the pulpy embrace of that sea-monster whose gelatinous arms had stretched out of the sea to draw the victim to his death the sea-monster was fate the letter to demerara was gone now it was hastening over the wide blue sea how happy sylvia would have been had she been sailing over the wide ocean instead of that false deceitful letter the letter in which she surrendered her love with tears for his own sake he would return too soon come when he would to find her another man's wife oh bitter awakening from his brief dream of woman's fidelity sylvia paid no more visits to parium place during the brief period of her betrothal sir aubrey would have liked her to be there often but many such visits would have set people talking and he wanted to stave off all gossip and wonderment till after his marriage he made all the necessary arrangements as secretly as if he had been chief conspirator in a new gunpowder plot procured the license and executed that deed of settlement one morning in mr bain's office where sylvia in her white bonnet and pale muslin dress looked like a hothouse plant that some wind had blown there the days went by the long summer evenings dwindled the july moon shrank and waned august was very near then came the first week of august the reapers were abroad in the land the frightened corncrake knew not whither to betake himself the heavy wains rolled homeward in the shortening twilight sylvia's wedding day was at hand sir aubrey spent all his evenings in the schoolhouse parlour which was perhaps a more cheerful apartment for the occupation of three people than that too spacious saloon at parium he came under cover of dusk for the most part being so anxious to preserve the secret of his wooing came to sit opposite his betrothed while she beguiled the evening with some trifling fancy-work and to discourse mildly as he had discoursed at parium repeating himself a little now and then he was rather fond of talking politics and as his opinions were of the good old tory school hardly modified since the days of chatham and north and mr carew like most disappointed men was a virulent radical there was plenty of room for argument between these two politicians sylvia wondered that people could talk so much and get so angry about things which seemed really to matter very little to anybody outside the house of commons the world seemed to go on pretty much the same whether conservatives or liberals were dominant and rates and taxes were just as hard to pay whether one chancellor of the exchequer or another dipped his fingers into the purses of the people mary peter brought the dresses home one by one and their simple magnificence almost astonished the enraptured possessor i think that's heavenly exclaimed mary as she held up the dove-coloured silk in the little cottage bedchamber and shook out its lustrous folds with the mantua maker's skilled hand it pays you well sylvia though you did give ten and six a yard for it i haven't made up many richer silks not even for mrs standen your mother-in-law that is to be added mary jocosely there was hardly room for all the finery in sylvia's small bedroom her riches were almost embarrassing the dresses lay about covered with clean linen like bodies laid out in a hospital you've got new trunks to put them in i hope said mary there's nothing i like to see better than a handsome portmanteau when a bride's going off for the wedding trip sylvia sighed despairingly 
i haven't a box belonging to me she said i've never travelled anywhere like other people then i dare say mr standon will give you a couple of handsome trunks you've only to drop an int when he comes back i hate hints returned sylvia i must ask him to give me some boxes she made the request to sir aubrey that evening when he inquired if she were nearly ready for the wedding journey only three days now remained before the appointed date mr vancourt the vicar had received notice of the marriage all arrangements were made my dresses are quite ready sir aubrey she replied but i have no boxes to put them in you'd better order a couple of fair-sized portmanteau at falthorpe's don't have them too large they're a nuisance in travelling and the french railways charge for all luggage i am sorry that i spent all my money before i thought of the trunks said sylvia blushing deeply it was hard to beg even of her betrothed though she thought of him in the future as a person who would give her everything she desired whose purse she could draw upon with perfect freedom sir aubrey stared at her somewhat blankly oh you have spent that hundred pounds he said taken off his guard by an announcement which considerably surprised him in his happy ignorance of feminine costliness i fear you've been buying a good deal of unnecessary finery i hope not sir aubrey i have tried to choose things to please you the girl answered quickly tears of humiliation starting in her eyes my dearest pray don't think that i am vexed with you cried the baronet melted by that tearful look in those lovely eyes the money was yours to do what you liked with i'll order your portmanteau to-morrow morning he had as yet given her but one present besides that utilitarian offering of banknotes. his single gift was an old-fashioned diamond hoop ring of his mother's the diamond set in time darkened silver and encircling the finger this was doubtless but an earnest of the splendours which he would heap upon her by and by the wedding-day arrived a misty august morning the hills and woods around headingham were shrouded in light summer vapour which melted slowly before the sun sylvia heard the cheery voices of the reapers in the barley-field yonder and envied them their careless liberty they were not going to be married it was not the most awful day in their lives they were not going to set a solemn seal upon their destinies binding them to an unknown master for all time to come only on the very threshold of doom did sylvia pause to consider what she was doing she dressed herself in the white silk wedding-gown unassisted and wondered a little at her own beauty as she saw herself in the glass that shining pearly fabric so trying to lesser loveliness became her as its petals become the lily but at this last moment she felt that her wedding-dress was too fine for her wedding there were to be no bridesmaids no guests no breakfast she was to walk from the garden to the church on her father's arm unseen unadmired to meet sir aubrey and mr bain in the vestry and directly the ceremony was over she was to put on her travelling dress and drive off to monkhampton station with her elderly husband it was not such a wedding as her dreams had shadowed forth when she was betrothed to edmund standon in those vague girlish visions she had pictured her wedding all gaiety and brightness her village friends looking on admiringly the school-children strewing her path with flowers this lovely dress is quite thrown away she thought with a discontented sigh no one will see it but papa and sir aubrey and mr bain i might just as well have kept the money it cost only it would seem so strange to be married in colours her father made some remarks of a disparaging kind when she went downstairs in her radiant toilette you'd better have been married in your travelling dress he said 
that white thing's quite out of place for a private wedding sir aubrey wanted to drive straight off from the churchyard gate sylvia pouted and reflected with some self-gratulation that her father would hardly presume to question her actions when she was lady Perriam. i shan't be ten minutes changing my dress she answered sir aubrey must wait must wait must he these are early days to talk of must do you think i'm going to be dictated to like a little child when i am married sylvia asked haughtily i think you will have to behave a little more amiably to sir aubrey than you have behaved to me answered her father i shall not have to cook his dinners at any rate retorted sylvia and in this christian frame of mind father and daughter repaired arm in arm to the parish church sir aubrey and mr bain were on the ground before them the bridegroom gave a little start at the sight of the bride's white robes he had expected to see her dressed ready for their journey but he could not complain when she looked so lovely he uttered an admiring exclamation and raised her hand to his lips with that stately gallantry which so well became him mr vancourt was ready for them and his countenance gave no indication of the surprise which must have reigned within him at this singular union he performed the ceremony with an agreeable briskness and sir aubrey found himself a married man sooner than he could have believed possible mr bain was very attentive to the ceremony and curiously watchful of the bride in his quiet way sylvia's manner was emotionless in the extreme emotionless almost to apathy there are awful moments in life when the feelings seem benumbed sylvia felt nothing but a vague sense of wonder how had this thing come to pass so speedily let me be the first to salute you lady Perriam," said mr bain when they had signed the register in the vestry and before any one could protest against such an enormity he had pressed his lips upon sylvia's fair forehead the first kiss that had rested there since edmund's despairing farewell the bride drew back indignant at the affront it is the privilege of a best man apologized mr bain pray pardon me for having taken so great a liberty lady Perriam. yes my love said sir aubrey putting aside the absurdity of the business with an easy laugh it is bain's privilege i believe you mustn't be angry with him but he might have waited for the second place and sir aubrey set the husband's first kiss on the lips of the bride it seemed a preposterous thing that another man his lawyer and steward should have kissed her first thirty passions passing bell edmund stanton had been nearly three weeks in demerara and had transacted the greater part of the business that was required to be done in the settlement of the late mr sergeant's affairs when the english mail brought him sylvia's letter the letter of renunciation he sat for some minutes after he had finished reading it stupefied it seemed like a bad dream that she sylvia carew who had laid her head upon his breast in that fond farewell and promised to be faithful that she could thus deliberately renounce him seemed a thing impossible of belief he read the letter slowly thoughtfully his senses coming back to him by degrees no it was not a jest not a sportive girl's playful trifling with her lover it had been written in sober earnest it was a thoughtful deliberate letter logical even and giving sound reasons for the writer's decision she has grown very wise he said to himself bitterly and then read the letter for a third time love had such potent dominion over him that he could not long feel bitterly towards the writer of that miserable letter 
the third perusal let in a new light upon the lines this foolish epistle which had given him so keen a pang was but a proof of his darling's unselfishness it showed him the noble mind of her he loved for his own sake out of concern for his welfare she renounced him she preferred to remain in her obscure position to endure her joyless life rather than to accept the chances of his future simply because she would not have him forfeit fortune for her sake the letter breathed regretful love her heart overflowed with tenderness for the man whose affection she renounced foolish child murmured edmund with a fond smile more than foolish to think i would sacrifice her love for anything fortune can bestow how could she have wavered so soon after our mutual vows of fidelity when she knew that there was nothing but hopefulness in my mind can my mother have influenced her to write this letter it looks rather like it but no that's not possible my mother is incapable of falsehood or meanness she promised to be kind to my darling while i was away she would never take advantage of my absence to persuade sylvia to renounce me whatever influence might have caused the writing of that letter mr standon had but one thought after receiving it and that was an eager desire to get back to england as soon as it was practicable for him to return there he completed the remainder of the business in hand doing it well though quickly he persuaded mrs sergeant that for her own health and her children's an immediate departure was advisable and prevailed upon the stricken widow to make herself and belongings ready to start by the next intercolonial steamer to st thomas poor mrs sergeant obeyed her brother willingly enough had he not come to her as a protecting angel in the hour of her bitterest need she was glad to leave the scenes where all her happiness was associated with the dead the little black-frocked children were rejoiced to go to england in the big steamer and talked rapturously of seeing grandmamma whom the eldest could just remember edmund dilated on the delights of the dean house gardens and the english fruits and flowers which were so different from the guava tamarinds plantains and pineapples familiar to these small colonists the duty of consoling his sister and amusing her children kept edmund stanton too constantly engaged for much indulgence in morbid thoughts the widowed voyager was ill and broken-spirited and her brother had hard work to cheer her were it ever so little the small nephew and nieces were exacting edmund had actually no time for gloomy forebodings which are generally the growth of leisure he grew to think of the letter quite lightly dear foolish sylvia how could she suppose i would give her up he said to himself although duty kept him closely employed it could not altogether stifle impatience and the voyage seemed longer than it would have appeared to a contented mind he so longed to see his darling again to gaze once more into the darkly luminous eyes and read there the tender denial of that foolish letter when at last the steam-wheels turned gaily in english waters and the pretty white clad in autumn's russet and gold stole up out of the blue his heart beat loud with joy southampton commonplace enough to the common traveller to the lover seemed a fairy city whose pavements were golden mr standon allowed the widow and orphans but one night's rest at the dolphin ere he whisked them off to monkhampton by the south-western railway it was a long day's journey with some changing of trains and much delay at the junctions where they changed and again uncle edmund was fully employed by the claims of the widow and the small children he was tired when they arrived at monkhampton where his mother's roomy landau and a cart for the luggage were in attendance 
edmund felt somewhat surprised that neither mrs standon nor esther had come to meet the travellers it was late in october and even in this genial climate autumn's decaying touch had made havoc the woods were lovely with that splendour which is the forerunner of death the bare fields and busy ploughs spoke of seed-time and winter the carriage-wheels went silently over fallen leaves that lay deep in the unfrequented roads how welcome was that simple beauty of english landscape to edmund after the more lavish nature of south america he uttered that favourite exclamation of englishmen after all there is no place like dear old england and england held sylvia that one lodestar of his soul mrs sargent sighed plaintively how happy i should be to return if i were coming back with george she murmured the children were gay enough craning their young necks in all directions struggling out of their nurses arms pointing to every dwelling they beheld near or distant and asking if that was grandmamma's house finding by degrees that a great many houses did not belong to grandmamma they began to have a diminished idea of that lady's possessions but they came to dean house at last the staid sober old mansion fronting the high road so boldly and not pretending to be anything better than it was there was the familiar iron gate there the green tubs of scarlet geranium still flourishing with luxuriant bloom edmund gave a little impatient sigh as he thought how much greeting he would have to go through and how many maternal questions fond and anxious he would have to answer before he could hurry off to headingham and clasp sylvia to his breast it would be night ere he crossed the old churchyard and opened the little gate into the schoolhouse garden and saw the lighted windows of sylvia's parlour he could fancy her glad look of surprise when she opened the door in answer to his summons and saw him standing before her in the moonlight come back from the other side of the world as it were come back to claim her in spite of her letter the neat parlour-maid opened the glass door the gardener and his underling came out to assist with the luggage and while edmund was lifting the children out of the carriage his mother appeared on the threshold with esther rochdale at her side the first glance told edmund that their faces were not cheerful it was in honour of george sargent of course that they put on those sombre looks it's a pity they should look so doleful thought edmund i've had sadness enough from ellen all the way from demerara and now they remind her of her misfortunes instead of trying to make her forget them he kissed his mother who received him with deepest tenderness my own brave son she said thank god for having brought you back to me how is sylvia he asked eagerly they were a little way apart from the widow nurse and children the little ones were being kissed and welcomed by esther rochdale she was delighted with these new claimants for her affections her happy loving nature overflowed in fond caresses and pretty girlish talk it does seem sweet to come to you said poor ellen and then melted to tears at the thought that she came without that other half of her own being the idolized husband edmund repeated his impatient question his mother was slow to answer but hung upon him with half despairing fondness as if he were going to be led off to execution in a minute or two i don't know faltered mrs standon she is very well i believe i have not seen her lately come to your room edmund you must be so tired change your dusty clothes and come down to dinner it has been ready for the last half hour you haven't seen her lately repeated edmund ignoring mrs standon's maternal solicitude you promised you would be kind to her mother 
edmund said mrs standon with that steady resolute look which her son knew so well i will not say a word about sylvia carew till you have dined and rested a little then i shall go to headingham this moment cried edmund snatching his hat from the slab where he had just now put it down what run away from your mother in the first hour of your return to her i am sorry you have no better idea of a son's duty edmund put his hat down again you are too hard upon me mother he said melted but yet reproachful you don't consider how my heart yearns for her i have but one letter from her during my absence and that a letter calculated to make me uncomfortable i am dying to see her but if you wish it i'll dine first only you might gratify me by speaking of her tell me that she is well and happy that will last till i have dined and can get to the dear old schoolhouse i have every reason to believe that she is well and prosperous meaning happy that will do mother i see sylvia will always be a sore subject with you and a bone of contention between us but i must make the best of it my affection for you shall not be diminished by your prejudice nor my love for sylvia lessened because you refuse to love her he went upstairs to his room the fresh bright english room with its english comforts there was a fire burning in his dressing-room to welcome the voyager from a warmer climate but this material luxury could not restore edmund standon's good temper he flung himself into the armchair before the fire and sat there in gloomy meditation instead of hastening to make his toilette for dinner domestic dissension he muttered how hard it is will my mother never reconcile herself to my choice will this sort of thing continue for the rest of our lives it tempts me to think that my mother's influence was at the bottom of that wretched letter he went downstairs a quarter of an hour later refreshed as to his external appearance but by no means comfortable in his mind the three ladies were already assembled in the dining-room and mrs sargent was looking almost bright now that she was once more under the mother's wing but mrs standon and esther both had a cloudy look except for their first greeting edmund and esther had hardly spoken to each other once since his return miss rochdale looked very small and slight and insignificant in her black dress and seemed anxious to avoid edmund's notice the dinner progressed in the usual stately manner that respectable stateliness and slowness which makes even a moderate dinner such a lengthy business it would have been pleasant enough if there had been plenty of talk to fill the pauses in the service but this was rather a silent party ellen and her mother talked a little in confidential tones chiefly about the lamented deceased and the details of his sudden end edmund whom inclination would have kept silent felt that for civility's sake he must talk to esther anything stirring at headingham while i was away he asked have you any news to tell me esther you ought to have quite a budget after three months miss rochdale blushed and looked down at her plate i don't think there's much to tell she said Eddingham is always quiet you know edmund yes it's a dreadfully dead and alive place no doubt still in three months there must have been some remarkable events cricket matches football i really don't know anything about cricket or football dinner parties births deaths marriages at this last word esther's blush deepened to such crimson that edmund could but remark it come there has been a wedding he exclaimed and one that you are rather interested in i should think by the way you blush what does it mean esther have you been getting married yourself and kept the news to surprise me on my return 
no edmund i am never going to marry i've been making a solemn vow to that effect to the little ones upstairs i'm going to be aunt esther all my life and a nice old maiden aunt by and by nice you must always be but we shan't allow you to be always a spinster my mother must have some of the propensities of her sex superior-minded as she is now you know all women are matchmakers when they've done with matrimonial schemes on their own account they begin to plot for someone else i've no doubt my mother has her views about you esther was silent and looked even a little embarrassed by this mild badinage then there is positively no news in headingham said edmund none that you would care to hear dinner was over at last and the produce of the dean-house grapery duly praised the largest bunches sent upstairs to the children by the fond grandmother edmund left the room with his mother put his arm through hers and led her towards the study a snug little room where there were always candles ready to be lighted when any one wanted to write a letter or find a book come in here mother said the young man i want to have a long talk i suppose it's too late for me to go to the schoolhouse to-night though i had set my heart upon seeing sylvia before i went to bed our dinner is always such a long business he struck a match lighted the tall candles in the old silver candlesticks wheeled a comfortable chair forward for his mother and then seated himself opposite her now mother he said i've dined and rested in obedience to your behest and now tell me all about sylvia edmund faltered mrs standon looking at him with unspeakable tenderness i have something to tell you which will i fear make you very unhappy yet it ought not to do so if you can only be wise and see the matter as i see it you have had a most happy escape what do you mean cried edmund with quickened breathing i don't understand a word you say sylvia carew is married married he cried looking at her in sheer amazement and then he broke out into a laugh singularly harsh of sound as compared with that genial laughter which was natural to him come mother this is a joke of course or you're trying me you want to find out how i should take the loss of her were it possible for me to lose her but it isn't possible except by death then with an awful look he cried out she's not dead is she you said just now that she was well but you may have been paltering with me in a double sense the dead are well for god's sake speak he cried violently is sylvia dead no she is well enough as i told you when you asked about her and she is what the world calls wonderfully fortunate she is married to sir aubrey Perriam. mother do you want to drive me mad whose invention whose lie is this married to sir aubrey why she had never seen the man's face i heard her say so the day before the school feast true but he saw her at the school feast saw her and fell in love with her they were married about five weeks after you left a very quiet marriage no one except the vicar and the people concerned knew anything about it till it was over it was a nine days wonder they came back to the place a fortnight ago i have seen lady perriam driving about in her carriage lady perriam cried edmund with a still harsher laugh how well it sounds doesn't it i suppose it was for that she married a man who must be nearly old enough to be her grandfather lady perriam no it was her father forced her to marry him i'll not believe that she was base i know that she loved me 
i heard the beating of her heart in the moment of our parting the heart that beat so strongly and seemed all truth i know that she loved me she may have loved you in her own selfish way but you see she loved rank and wealth much better it was no act of her own free will she was goaded to it forced to do it she renounced you of her own free will in less than a week after you left answered mrs standen and then she told the story of her first and only visit to sylvia carew esther was present all the time esther heard all she said in conclusion oh i am not going to question the truth of your statements returned edmund wearily she has married that old man that is enough it matters very little by what degree she arrived at that baseness enough to know that she lied to me that when she looked up in my face with tearful eyes those lovely eyes and swore to be true to the very last she was capable of deceiving me a fine house a carriage a high-sounding name could tempt her away from me say even that her father persuaded her threatened tormented her had she been loyal she would have borne the uttermost torment she would have died under the torture rather than broken her faith with me the struggle would not have been for very long she knew that i was coming back a little courage a little constancy and i should have been at her side to claim and hold her for my own against all the world the strong man was vanquished by the force of that stronger passion and for the first time since his father's death edmund standen wept bitter tears the mother flew to his side knelt by his chair hung upon him fondly trying to comfort him with overflowing love edmund she sobbed it is not my fault you will not hate me because of this sorrow that has fallen upon you believe me i did nothing to influence that false wicked girl i went to her prepared to take her to my heart i promised to be generous to you by and by if she proved to be a good wife i tried to conciliate her but she was false to you in her heart at that very moment she seized upon the shallowest pretext for jilting you she is a base designing creature not worth a thought hush mother said the young man with an almost solemn quietude he had dried those unmanly tears and bore the sharp pains of this new sorrow like a martyr hush mother not one word against her let her name be dead between us let it be more utterly dead than the names of those we have loved and lost we speak of them sometimes we will never speak of her his mother wise even in her love kissed his cold brow damp with the anguish of this mental struggle and left him alone with his sorrow whatever form his passion took were it despair or anger it was best that he should fight his battle alone End of chapters twenty nine and thirty